And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on Saturday, January 29th, 2022, kicking us off. We are not going back by the House Martins off of the the People Who Grin Themselves to Death album. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. We've got a big show to get to. It is all about football on the eve here of Championship Sunday. Uh, and coming off what was inarguably the best weekend of playoff football we've ever seen in the National Football League. Four games, three won by the road team, three won on field goals late in the game, weather in Green Bay, uh, you know, um, rookies stepping up, veterans stepping up, redemption for players, validation for other players, storylines abound. It was, a, it was a tremendous weekend of football, and the league could not be happier. The other storyline is the fact that the AFC has several young studs at quarterback, three of whom reside in the AFC West, in Patrick Mahomes, in Justin Herbert, and in... Who am I forgetting? Mahomes, Herbert... Oh, well, I guess Derek Carr, so not really. I mean, Derek Carr is not that young anymore. So, two in the AFC West... You throw Joe Burrow in there from Cincinnati, uh, and then you put Josh Allen from the Bills. I mean, that <laughs> uh, the league is in good hands, or the and, and particularly the AFC when it comes to supreme young talent at quarterback. Um, and you move over to the NFC, this likely could be the last hurrah for... Tom Brady. Um, we'll see where Hamlet uh, up there in Green Bay with his existential crises and his moaning and groaning and his bitching and moaning and his whining, uh, what he decides to do. Um, it would appear he's played his last game for the Packers. And we'll get to all of this stuff a little bit more in more specifics. But So, I mean, there was, there was no shortage of storylines happening during and then after the games. Um, but the product, what you saw, the, you know, the actual play on the field was tremendous. And let's go right down the line. We'll do it chronologically. We'll start with Cincinnati, Tennessee. I told you I didn't like Tennessee. I was surprised that they were the number one seed. I didn't think by any stretch they were the best team in the AFC. I've been on the Bengals now for about two months mainly because of the quarterback and the talent around him as far as the skill position players are concerned. And then on the other side of the ball, they have some playmakers as far as guys that can rush the passer and they have some guys in the back end that can play the ball. And that's kind of what happened. Now, look, you know, Ryan Tannehill had been a nice little story, right? You know, kind of 
was famously a, a, a wide receiver in college at Texas A&M for his first couple of years. Made the transition to quarterback. You know, extremely athletic. The Dolphins took a bit of a gamble, drafted him in the first round. If you watch the Hard Knocks season that focused on the Dolphins, a couple of things that, that, that st- stood out. Joe Philbin had no business being a head coach. Overmatched doesn't even begin to describe what he was. And Ryan Tannehill didn't really like or care or know much about football. <laughs> because, remember, he's in the, they show a meeting and Matt Moore, who is a longtime backup in, De- in Miami, Ryan Tannehill was puzzled by the concept of different conferences. He, he, he was unsure that that was really a thing. And, you know, I, I, I sort of made fun of him at the time on a show about that and how can this guy be a quarterback in the NFL if he doesn't even understand how the league works. Um, and he famously flamed out in Miami. You know, not necessarily, you know, it was not all on him, right? Miami has long been a, a dysfunctional organization. But, you know, he, he, he'd been resurrected in, in Tennessee. Um, and, uh, you know, Art Smith was the offense coordinator there until recently, and he got the Falcons job. But, you know, look, they basically tell they, – they managed Ryan Tannehill the same way San Francisco and John Harbaugh ma- – uh, Jim Harbaugh, rather, managed uh, Alex Smith, right? An athletic guy, um, but you can't put the game on his shoulders. And so you surround him with a very good running game uh, and a very good defense – and, you know, tell him, don't, don't, don't get his beat. Well, Ryan Tannehill kind of got them beat. Because the Tennessee Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times, right? Talked about Harold Landry, Bud Dupree, Jeffrey Simmons. Those guys were all over the place. D'Amico Archery had a great game as well. Um, and yet the Bengals still found a way to win. Mostly because Tannehill threw an interception on his first pass of the game. And he threw an interception on his last pass of the game. And he wasn't very good. And also because coaches really, I mean, I know I sound like a broken record, but I mean, I'm just going to keep saying it. I got to point it out. I mean, and I, I understand Mike Vrabel's a good coach and everybody likes him. Um, he's another one, though, who doesn't understand when you go for two and when you don't go for two. Because the Titans scored the first touchdown out of that game. There was a penalty um, which allowed <clears throat> the Titans, if they wanted to, to take half the distance to the goal on the point after attempt. So Vrabel decided to do that and go for two. Why? So you could be up 8 nothing, like five minutes into the game? Really? But if you don't get it, now you got to go chase that, ex- that, that point now, the rest of the game? I, I mean, the, the idiocy of that is staggering. It is staggering. And I'm sure there's some algorithm or some analytic that'll tell you that his chances of Tennessee's chances of winning the game increased from 33% to 36%. So therefore, you got to go for the two-point conversion there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Further discrediting analytics. It's beyond idiotic. And so of course it came back to bite them later in the game. And look, uh, they got a very favorable call on an interception late in that game um, after a big fourth down stop by 
the Bengals' defense after a third and basically less than a yard. Tennessee lines up in the shotgun. I'm watching the game with my dad, and I'm like, what is Tennessee doing? Why are they in the shotgun? You have Derrick Henry, one of the best backs in the league, certainly the best short yardage back in the league. The guy is a monster. He could, he could fall forward for half a yard. And what do they do? They get cute and run some quarterback read option where Tannehill keeps the ball. They lose yards and then go for it on fourth down, give it to Derrick Henry, who kind of tippy-toes into the line of scrimmage. Looked like he had no confidence in the play call. And look, Bengals, good, look, good, good on them. They knew where the ball was going. Everybody knew where the ball was going. And they stuffed it. And it looked like that was going to really seal the Titans' fate. And then they got bailed out with an interception that clanged off Samaje Pirine's hands, hit the ground. But the defender for the Titans had control of the ball, even though the nose of the football clearly is touching the ground. But they called it an interception on the field, and they weren't going to overturn it. And I guess I could live with that. But, you know, if they called it incomplete, I don't think you would have argued with that either. And then Burrow drives the team down the field, you know, under duress the whole game. I mean, nine sacks is crazy enough. But, I mean, and then, you know, he was under pressure countless other times. Conley drives his team down the field. Complete some big passes to Jamar Chase and others. And then this kid, Ryan McPherson, the rookie kicker for the Bengals, apparently prior to the kick, he said, you know, they called timeout. And he's like, all right, well, I guess we're going to the, uh, guess we're going to the AC Championship here, boys. And calmly drilled a 52 or 53-yard field goal right down the middle. Would have been good from 60. And there you go. So, I mean, I think if you're Tennessee, it's fair to ask the question, is Ryan Tannehill the guy going forward? It's fair to ask. He's not awful, but I think, you you know, he, he's a plateau quarterback, right? You're only going to get to a certain level with Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. I mean, unless everything else around you is elite level, special teams, defense, running game. And Tennessee is neither is is an elite in any of those areas. They're good, but they're not elite. And then you're also going to need some luck along the way. You're going to need some bounces. And look, almost every team that wins the Super Bowl gets some lucky breaks along the way, whether it be during the regular season and or the playoffs. Now, if you're Cincinnati, you're thrilled. I mean, Zach Taylor, their coach, I mean, yours truly slammed that hire. He had zero resume other than he maybe once had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. <laughs> and, uh, and I was looking pretty smart when they were 5-26-1 in their first 32 games. So two first full two seasons. But um, look, Cincinnati has drafted well. They've signed some, some free agents that are kind of under-the-radar guys, particularly in the secondary, in Chidi Awuzie and Eli Apple. Giants fans know all about him. Um, who've played well. 
and you know did not break the bank. They were not huge money guys. Um, you know, they drafted Logan Wilson, a middle linebacker out of Wyoming in the third round, guy who all he did was make plays in college, intercept the ball, make tackles. Guess what? He's done the same exact thing. He had a big interception in that game uh, against Tennessee. He's done the same thing. You know, they did give Trey Hendrickson a big contract, the DN at, uh, from, from New Orleans. And they signed Larry Ogunjobi, too, away from, from Cleveland. Those were their two kind of big splash moves. But then they made a savvy trade and traded uh, for B.J. Hill, defensive tackle from the Giants by way of NC State. And he's, you know, he's not a star by any stretch, but he's a good, solid player. Now that Ogunjobi's out, B.J. Hill's replaced him, and he's held up pretty well. You know, Jesse Bates, the safety out of Duke, is going to be for agent. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. He's been a really, really good player back there for them. So they've got a good job. The, the, obviously, the area where they really struggle is the offensive line. And that's why a lot of people thought they were going to draft Penny Sewell, who the Lions ended up taking at seven. They took Jamar Chase at five. Again, both things can be true. They were great picks for both teams. So they definitely need to address that offensive line in the offseason. But they clearly, look, they, and we talk about it all the time. They have the answer at the most important position in all pro sports at the quarter, and that's quarterback, and Joe Burrow is a stud. And with Mixon in the backfield, and Chase, and T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, and Zoma, the tight end, I mean, they, they, they certainly don't lack for weapons. So that was just the appetizer. So walk-off. Field goal at the buzzer to win game one. Road team, division winner, but had to play in the wild card. Road team, Cincinnati, beats the number one seed, Tennessee. Which brings us to game number two, Saturday night, Green Bay, San Francisco. So, of course, as anybody who's ever listened to the show knows, I hate the Packers. I used to have a begrudging respect for Aaron Rodgers. Now I can't stand him. It's funny, you know, I watch... Pardon the interruption all the time. Kornheiser and Wilbon, the, the, they're, they're the, just, to me, the greatest. And, you know, they, they talked about Rodgers, and, and, and Kornheiser said, you know, he's got lots of texts from lots of people who at one point previously respected Aaron Rodgers. Now they can't stand him. Well, he didn't say can't stand him. He said they're sick of him. He, he, he put it a little bit more politely. And I think that's fair. I mean, how could you not be sick of Aaron Rodgers right now unless you're a Packers fan? And by the way, if you're a Packers fan, you might be a little sick of Aaron Rodgers too. So I'm thinking, all right, well, one road team won today. There's no way both road teams are winning, especially, you know, look, it's, it's Green Bay, San Francisco. Yeah, they're a tough team, but, you know, they're a little limited offensively. Um you know, and it's the Packers in Lambeau on Saturday night. Well, <laughs> it sure started out that way because the Packers went right down the field, did whatever they wanted, scored. San Francisco, despite having great field position on their first three possessions, couldn't do a thing with the ball, right? Green Bay dared Jimmy G to beat them. Um, then they finally pop one loose. They've got George Kittle running 
uncovered, basically, down the middle of the field. Garoppolo puts it right between the 8 and the 5, and Kittle drops it. I think it would have been a touchdown. So I'm like, all right. Okay, this is going to be a blowout. Well, funny thing happened. San Francisco bowed up on defense. Packers couldn't get anything done on offense. Um, and then you think it's, what was it? Was it 10-3 at half? San Francisco finally got a field goal. And then it's like third and three with not a lot of time left in the first half. Packers are backed up sort of on their own goal line. Shanahan calls a timeout thinking maybe we can get the ball back and get a short field and maybe sneak a field goal in here. Niners blow a coverage, leave Aaron Jones completely uncovered out of the backfield. He almost scores. Good job by, I forgot who it was on the Niners that that, that tracked him down and ran him down from behind. They tackled him. Packers go to kick a field goal at the end of the half, gets blocked. So, nice little momentum shift there for the Niners. And the second half was basically just a slugfest. Nobody could do anything. And then the Packers, again, backed up in the shadow of their own end zone. Block, punt, touchdown, tie game. (laughs) Late in the fourth quarter with now the snow coming down. Game goes to overtime. And, uh, oh, wait, did it go to overtime? No, hold on. It did? No. Um, Niners kick a field goal. Hold on. Now I'm, 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 I'm struggling here. Because they needed a big first down. The point I'm trying to make is that The Niners, Kyle Shanahan coaches around Jimmy Garoppolo's deficiencies. And and it's a compliment to Kyle Shanahan. Now, look, Garoppolo, we know, had the thumb injury. He may be more hurt than he's been letting on and gutting it out. Um, You know, the Niners' offense is Kittle and Debo Samuel for the most part. I mean, I I like Elijah Mitchell, the running back, too. Um, They've got some issues in the offensive line. They're playing with a backup right tackle. Um, Lakin Tomlinson got run over several times in that game, former Lions left guard, who's played well for San Francisco. He had a rough night, though, on Saturday. Um, but, um, you know, on third and seven, with a chance to put the game away, or not to put the game, well, they, they ran the ball to Debo Samuel, and he got a first, a huge first down. Uh, yeah, no, that wasn't to put the game away. Of course not. That was to get them in the field goal range. And Robbie Gould, who's one of the best and has been for a long time, calmly made the field goal. Adios. See you later, Green Bay. Let the whining begin. And now, you know, look, Rodgers is what? One in four in his last five home playoff games. They can't beat the 49ers. He's, he's, he hasn't ever beaten the 49ers in the playoffs. Um They've been the favorite in several games at home where Rodgers has been the quarterback in the playoffs. They've lost them. You know, Brady threw three interceptions against him in an NFC Championship game last year. Couldn't get the game done there. Um, you know, Rodgers wasn't great on that last drive. I understand a lot of people complained about uh, LaFleur and going to kick the field goal, and, and that's true too. 
But the point is, I mean, I, I, look, I don't see, I understand. I don't like Aaron Rodgers. But objectively speaking, this definitely damages the legacy. I mean, there's no question. For as great as Aaron Rodgers is, he has one Super Bowl. One. And the recent playoff track record ain't great. Because if you're going to apply playoff wins as the only criteria, whether or not a quarterback is good, and so therefore Matthew Stafford was never good because he was 0-3 in the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers is now recently not very good in the playoffs, then you you, you can't have it both ways. You can't selectively just say, well, no, but that doesn't apply to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers. So, be interesting to see where he goes. He's not going to play for Green Bay anymore. He's just not. For whatever reason, you know, he's been angling to get out of there recently anyway. But he's going to do everybody a big favor, though, by the way. He's going to, he's going to give them some plenty of notice this time. He's going to give everybody, he's going to do such a, what a swell guy. Thanks, A-Rod. A jerk. <laughs> Rumors, of course, now, and we'll get to some of these coaching hires in a little bit later in the show. But the uh, Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett, son of Paul Hackett, former head coach at Pitt and offense coordinator in the NFL. Uh, was Herm Edwards' offense coordinator with the Jets, among other jobs. Um, so Nathaniel Hackett is his son. He's the Packers offensive coordinator. I understand people are different, but are we not paying any attention to Joe Philbin, to Ben McAdoo, former offensive coaches for the Packers that famously went on to be complete disasters as head coaches? I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting how these guys don't look quite as smart and innovative when they don't have Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback. Same thing can be applied to all these Patriots assistants that go on to famously flame out. Either through arrogance and a complete inability to be uh, a leader of men and or, you know, they just they don't have the talent and they were probably better suited to be coordinators and ride the coattails to a certain extent of Belichick and Brady. So, of course, now the rumors are that Green, you know, Denver has made this higher with the idea in mind that Aaron Rodgers will eventually find his way to Denver. And Denver seems to think that they are only a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. I, I, I mean... They've got good players there. They do. They've got two. They've got two good backs. They've got some good receivers. Some good, you know, Noah Fant. It's a good pass catching tight end. The whole line isn't any good. Garrett Bowles, one of the worst offensive linemen in the NFL. Um, but they do have some good, good players on defense too. So, you know, what is it? Isn't Aaron Rodgers going to be thirty eight this year? I mean, look, he had he had statistically he had a great year for Green Bay. You know, he also gets to beat up on the shitty Lions twice a year, the shitty Bears twice a year, the Vikings defense has been lousy recently. You know, we'll see. I mean, he's going to go now into the AFC West and try to duke it out with Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and even and even to a lesser extent Derek Carr, who's a good quarterback. 
We'll see. I mean, he strikes me as the type, especially now, that he wants a ready-made situation, right? He, just, he wants to go someplace where it's the path of least resistance. But maybe he thinks that Denver is that. I don't know. I mean, if you're smart, you wouldn't think that because the Chiefs are clearly a better team than Denver. And I would argue that uh, the Chargers are a better team than Denver despite their inability to ever <laughs> win an important game. But they have talent. And the coach, as we all know, in San Diego is a problem. Yes, and I know I said San Diego, and I know they play in L.A. They will always be San Diego to me. You know, we're going to go, we're going to switch it up from a chronology standpoint here. So I know Kansas City-Buffalo was the last game, and that was the Monday night game, or Sunday night game, rather. And it was tremendous. It was so good. Immediately made me think of that 1982 playoff game between the Chargers and the Dolphins in Miami. Kellen Winslow, a heroic effort, a million catches, blocked a field goal at the end to seal the game in overtime, 41-38. Had to basically be carried off the field. He left every ounce of his being out on that field that day. That's, this this game between uh, Casey and Buffalo reminded me of that a little bit as far as just the back-and-forth nature, high scoring. You saw how good Josh Allen is, the quarterback for Buffalo. Mahomes, tremendous. Allen throwing darts down the stretch, seemingly leading his team to a victory as they take the lead and go up three with 13 seconds left. 13 seconds. I mean, even Mahomes are like, that's just not enough time. I mean, I get it. They only needed a field goal, and we've seen crazy things happen. And, yeah, maybe they get a pass interference call or, you know, and, and but to set them up for, like, a long field goal. Uh, and yet, Buffalo kicks the ball deep. I mean, you got to squib kick it there. You have to. Now, I understand the flip side of the argument is if you hit a bad squib kick, you know, Kansas City could possibly get the ball at like their own 40, which with 13 seconds left is enough time to go 20 yards, 25 yards. You, you, if, you're, if you're Kansas City, you want to get to the 35-yard line, which is a 52-yard field goal, right? So if you're at the 40, you know, my math, my advanced math degree tells me it's 10 yards to get to the 50, another 10 to get to the 40. That's 20, and then another 5. That's 25 yards. Mahomes could de- – well, I mean, obviously, we know he could do that because he went longer than that. He went – you know, they started at the 25-yard line. But the thing is, no time went off the clock. If you squib kick it, even if they get it at the 40, they're not going to have 13 seconds. They're going to have 10 seconds, maybe even 9. So they elect not to squib kick it. And then Mahomes fires one to, to, to Kelsey up the seam for, like, you know, a pretty big gain. Uh, you know, Buffalo weirdly, I mean, so I'm usually a proponent of rushing at least four. In that situation, 
coverage is your friend. You got to keep everything in front of you and keep the other team, you know, and keep them in bounds and make time, you know, make the clock your friend. Buffalo elected not to do that. I mean, you know, it's easy to nitpick when something crazy like going uh, 50 yards in, in, in 13 seconds to go kick a field goal ends up happening. Um, and so that tied the game now, right? That tied the game. And Harrison Butker, who's a great kicker, but Romo uh, completely jinxed earlier in the game, missed a 50-yard field goal at the end of the half and also missed an extra point in that game. Um, so the Chiefs improbably, incredibly tie the game to send it into overtime. And then you got the dreaded coin flip. Because if you watched that game, you knew whoever got the ball that they were going to win. Because the Chiefs couldn't stop Buffalo and Josh Allen. And Buffalo could not stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I mean, what they score? 25 points combined in the last two minutes of the game? I mean, it was insane. I mean, you had that Tyreek Hill touchdown. You know, Gabriel Davis, you know, seemingly coming out of nowhere for the Bills with four touchdowns. Looks like Jerry Rice now all of a sudden. I mean, it was nuts. Highly entertaining. Quarterback play at its finest. Two young studs going back and forth, exchanging blows. It was like a Hagler-Hearns fight. And... Kansas City won the toss, went down the field, beautiful throw, beautiful catch, Mahomes to Kelsey, and that's that. Prompting, you know, lots of cries of people saying the overtime rules, at least for the playoffs, need to be changed, and I'm, I, I agree. I'm in favor of that. I mean, look, they've already tweaked overtime several ways already in the NFL. It used to be 15 minutes, right, and it used to be sudden death. Then they reduced it to 10, and now it's... If the team who wins the coin toss or whatever, the team who starts with the ball doesn't score a touchdown on its first possession, if they get a field goal, then the other team has a chance to get the ball. And I don't hate that either. But for the playoffs, you know, it's one game. So, I mean, you know, these other rules were ostensibly done in favor of player safety, right, to shorten the game. Mm. I don't know how much I believe that, but in any, anyway. Um, and yes, this game is a bit of an outlier. You don't see a lot of overtime games in the playoffs, although we're seeing them more and more because, look, <laughs> the, the game has changed so much. I mean, even as recently as 10 years ago, the thought of going you know, 55 yards in 13 seconds, unheard of, unheard of. But now teams are so nervous to play defense. They don't know what to do, right? They're not allowed to do anything half the time, right? You know, you got you rush the passer at your own peril as far as being, you know, getting your hands up, but then your, you know, your pinky might graze the quarterback's helmet and that's a 15-yard penalty. Or, you know... You, you, you grab a receiver and, and that's, you know, uh, you're running step for step, but, you know, you, you, you don't get your head turned around right. And it's, you know, they just hand out 40 yards like candy on some of these pass interference penalties. So, you know, you're seeing it more and more where teams can go 
down the field in a shorter and shorter period of time. You know, I mean, I remember when Stafford had that game against the Cowboys, and now we're going back 10 years, probably, where he went, you know, 80 yards with a minute left and no timeouts. That was considered a big deal. Now that's nothing. I mean, it's still, I mean, I'm not just saying it's not nothing, but it's become more and more routine. So I am in favor of doing something similar to the college set up for overtime in the NFL. Although the college has now made it idiotic with this two-point conversion nonsense. Um, But sort of the old college where each team gets the ball on like the other team's 35-yard line or something like that. You know, maybe the NFL, you back it up a little bit because that's in the NFL, that's guaranteed field goal range for most teams. So, you know, you could run the ball three straight times and kick a field goal if you want. Now, the other team is going to get the chance to do the same. <clears throat> because in the college rules, each team gets the ball. So I suspect, I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I suspect in the next several years we'll see the overtime rules for playoff games in the NFL change. But just what a highly, and I had I didn't really have any dog in that fight. I like both teams. I would have been happy to see either team get to the AFC Championship game. I would have been happy to see either team in the Super Bowl. They're highly entertaining. They're well-coached. They have great quarterbacks. Just just, just a, 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 just a purely joyful sports viewing experience, the Chiefs-Buffalo game. So now we get to, of course, the game that I had the most interest in, which was the Rams versus Tampa Bay. Matthew Stafford finally got the monkey off his back that, again, he, quote-unquote, hadn't won a playoff game in his career. That huge sample size, by the way, of three games. <laughs> and, yes, they, they, they hammered the Cardinals. He played well but wasn't asked to shoulder the whole load, right? The defense played great. They ran the ball great. So we knew that against Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford was going to have to play a larger role in order for the Rams to beat them. Well, that ended up being the case, but not (laughs) the way we thought. The way that game went for the first mm, three and a half quarters, shall we say, when the Rams absolutely dominated Tampa Bay and Brady looked done, kaput, finished. The Rams' front was in his grill all day. No no Tristan Wirfs. We talked about that prior, that that was going to be a big loss for Tampa Bay, and it proved to be true. Aaron Donald and company were all over Brady. The Rams moved the ball beautifully. Stafford was playing played great. And... They're about to go up. It's 20 to 3. They get a big interception, right? Uh, this kid, this safety, who's a backup, right? The Rams, are, we talked about that too. They're playing backup safeties. Uh, this kid, Scott, Nick Scott out of Penn State, made a beautiful interception on, on, a, on a pass from Tom Brady. 
you know, I'm thinking, all right, it's 20 to 3. Let's hold Tampa Bay to a field goal here. Let's go into the half up 20 to 6 because the Rams started with the ball in the second half. Meanwhile, they get an interception. Now it's like, okay, worst case scenario, <clears throat> we're going to get out of here 20 to 3. Best case scenario, maybe touchdown 27 3. Split the difference, going to kick a field goal 23 to 3. So the Rams get the ball. Cam Akers. You know, it was a nice story. We talked about it coming off the Achilles injury. Uh, came back way sooner than anybody had thought. Um, going in, you know, first and goal at the one, except he fumbles. Fumbles. A hair's breadth before his helmet touches the ground. Play on the field was not called a fumble. He was called down by contact. They review it. He fumbled. So... I mean, the Rams are going to have the ball first and goal with about 30 seconds left. Worst case scenario, they probably run it three times. If they don't get it, they're going to kick a field goal. They're going to be up 23-3. to And starting with the ball in the second half. Best case scenario, you're up 27-3. Well, didn't happen. Fumbled. Tampa Bay got the ball. Of course, they, you know, there's not enough time, and they're basically in their own goal line, on their own goal line. So, you know, that's how the half ended. But that that was just sort of a... A, a precursor and and a harbinger of things to come. Because then the Rams decided, let's just start giving the ball back and the charmed life of Tom Brady continues. I mean, again, you know, everyone wants to, to harp on how great he was in the, the Super Bowl against the Falcons, and he was. The Falcons also did everything goddamn wrong in the second half of that game to even make it a possibility. And now the Rams are starting to do the same thing. I'm starting to get really, really irritated. So, the only way Tampa Bay was getting back in that game is if the Rams started turning the ball over. And sure enough, the Rams start turning the ball over. Stafford hits Cooper Cup for like a five-yard gain on a simple, you know, seemingly benign quick out. Seemingly benign tackle. Wasn't like the guy really ripped the ball out. Wasn't like the guy put his helmet on the ball. It's kind of made it like a normal tackle. Somehow Cooper Cup fumbles the ball. Tampa Bay recovers it. Here we go. Tampa Bay scores. Then, to the Rams' credit, they recover. They hang in there. They score a touchdown. Now it's 27-13. Right? Something like no 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 no. Let me let me make sure I get the chronology right here. It was twenty to three. It was twenty to six, twenty to thirteen, twenty seven thirteen, right? Yeah, because they scored twice as tied at twenty seven. The game final is thirty to twenty seven. Anyway, Rams defense gets a strip sack fumble of Brady, <clears throat> which seemingly looks like it's going to – that's that. It's late in the third quarter. It's going to put the game away. The very next play, the center snaps the ball shotgun. Stafford wasn't expecting the snap. Ball goes over his head. He tries his best to go fall on the ball. Can't. Tampa Bay gets it. 30-yard line, so completely, you know, extremely short field for a Buccaneers offense. They score a touchdown. Now, chance to run the ball and basically run the clock out up 27-20. 
Sean McVay somehow still has Cam Akers in the game. I, I, I mean, I, I don't get it. I, I mean, after the first fumble, he would have been on the bench for, for, as far as I'm concerned. Can't have it. Can't have it. Still in the game. Fumbles again. Well, he was going to set up probably third and one. And of all people, and Dominican Sue strips the ball. After he and Stafford got into a little thing early in the game, which helped set up a score for the Rams. Because Sue, Sue started taunting him, screaming at him, got in his face. Because after he hit Stafford and they kind of rolled over each other on the ground, he, 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 he thought Stafford, you know, Stafford's foot hit him. And I guess he thought Stafford was doing it on purpose. Guilty minds. Anyway, um, so now Tampa Bay's got the ball back. So now you know Tampa Bay's going to score. I mean, you just know it. This is this is what happens. This is Tom Brady's career. This is the charmed life of Tom Brady. This is throwing an interception against the Chargers to lose the game in the playoffs. Except Marlon McCree decides that instead of just taking a knee and ending the game, no, I'm going to I'm going to try to return it so that Troy Brown can strip me of the ball from behind. And of course. The Patriots can recover, and then, look, both things can be true. Tom Brady has had an inordinate amount of luck in his career. But here's the thing. You give him extra opportunities, he takes advantage, to his credit. He does. You know, it's that old line from the wire. You you come at the king, you best not miss. I mean, when you have a chance to put Brady away, you better take him out. And now here are the Rams completely collapsing. And by the way, through no fault of Matthew Stafford's, he hasn't done a damn thing wrong in this game. And I'm like, I can't believe this. The Rams are going to blow this. I'm going to have to hear all this horse shit about how Matthew Stafford's not a winner and Tom Brady is. And then, and then, and then. When meanwhile, Stafford badly outplayed Brady in this game. I understand Brady got them touchdowns late and the statistics look good. He sucked for three quarters, please. And then the Rams somehow, when you want to play prevent defense when you're up two scores, uh, or when you're up a score, they put Jalen Ramsey out on on Mike Evans, who's not exactly fast, and he runs right past Jalen Ramsey for like a 50-yard touchdown. Like, what are you doing? What are the Rams doing? It's funny. I was watching the game with a couple of buddies of mine, and when it was like three minutes left, and it were four minutes left, the Rams were up two scores. Like, this game's over. I'm like, no, it's not. Stop saying that. It's not over. This is what Tom Brady does. And this is what happens to Tom Brady. He's always, or the majority of his career, he is on the plus side of another team collapsing. And then, son of a bitch, Tampa Bay scores with 44 seconds left. Now, as a lifelong Lions fan and watching Stafford operate for them for 10 years, I knew that was plenty of time for the Rams to go down and kick a game-winning field goal. I've seen Stafford do it 15 times at least for the Lions, if not more. Christ, one season they went 9-7. and seven. Every game that they won that year was a fourth-quarter comeback led by Matthew Stafford. Now, nobody else knows that because he played for the Lions. And again, there's this idiotic narrative out there about him that he's not a winner. So, first play, 
He kind of do, I guess he maybe called his own number or thought he saw something in the defense. He goes to try to do like a quarterback draw, gets tackled after like a yard or two gain, fumbles. I thought he was down anyway, but he recovered it. But it was like a huge, like, <gasps> like my heart, like, you know, sank for a second. Then he hits Cooper Cup for like a 25-yard play, and Cooper Cup gets out of bounds. And then with Indominus and Sue bearing down on him, he floats a perfect pass to Cooper Cup up the seam to the post, trying to be covered one-on-one by Antoine Winfield Jr., who I love. Talked about him on previous shows, talked about him coming out of Minnesota when we did a draft show, but that ain't his strength, is covering receivers one-on-one, particularly someone as accomplished and as good as Cooper Cup. The guy led the league in catches, touchdowns, and yards this year. So, beats him for 44 yards. Sets up Matthew Gay for the game-winning field goal. Oh, that was the other thing. The the kicker for the Rams, Matt Gay, who was a former fifth-round pick of Tampa Bay, who's been a very good kicker for the Rams, right? In perfect weather in Tampa Bay, beautiful sunny day, perfect field conditions, chance to put the Rams up three in the fourth quarter, up three scores, rather. Comes up short on a 47-yard field goal. You never see that in the NFL anymore. This isn't 1981 when kickers in the NFL stunk <laughs> and got, and nobody, you know, there's like three guys in a league that could make 50-yard field goals with any kind of consistency. And he, and by the way, in those days, if a kicker was 50% from 50 yards or more, that was considered fantastic. Now guys are like 70% from 50 yards. And somehow the kick is, is right down the middle, but it's short. I'm like, only fucking Tom Brady. I'm like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this is incredible. So, yeah. But, you know, Stafford got him all the way down there. Well, I think, what was the kick? 40-something yarder? No, it was, no, it was a short. It was short. That's right. It was a chip shot. And, and Gabe barely made it. I mean, he just, it was a little too close for comfort, put it that way. Snuck it in the left upright. So Stafford, how do you like this? The anti-Stafford contingent out there. How do you like these at numbers for you? Okay. 28 for 38. 300 and something yards. Touchdowns to Beckham. No, touchdown to Cup. Touchdown to the backup tight end. Ran for a touchdown. Oh, and calmly led his team down the field in 40 seconds. For the game-winning field goal on the road in Tampa against the GOAT. The GOAT. Tom Brady. How about that? Is that winning enough for you? Anyway, sorry. I get a little angry. I get a little angry. I don't like it when people don't, don't give my boy the credit that he deserves. I mean... The guy has done everything right his whole career. Do you see, by the way, did anybody notice after Cam Akers had that second fumble that was obviously a, a, a potential game loser? First guy to go over him and put his, put his arm around him and pat him on the helmet was Matthew Stafford. The guy's tremendous. The guy should be the face of the league. Instead, we get jerks like Aaron Rodgers. You know what this weekend was also about? Yes, it was about validation for Matthew Stafford. It was about the 
insanely good young talented quarterback in the AFC. It was also about the good guys finally won and the bad guys and the jerks finally lost. All right. This weekend. Tomorrow. Kansas City, Cincy. Look, I've, as you know, I've been on the Bengals now for two months. Uh, they're a highly entertaining team. I, I would like, I, 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 you know, I like, I, I, don't, I don't dislike the Chiefs either. So, although I kind of should. You know, Tyreek Hill's a bad guy. Uh, by the way, don't know, still, not, still not quite clear as to why he didn't get called for taunting on his touchdown as he was waving at the guy, basically, or flashing a peace sign or whatever nonsense. Uh, particularly this year when that's supposedly a point of emphasis for the league. But anyway, we'll leave that alone. But look, the Chiefs are a fun, exciting team to watch. I'd like to see the Bengals win. They're not going to win. They're not going to win. Look, you can get by beating the Titans, who are a one-dimensional team, and a, a not very good Ryan Tannehill turn the ball over too much and survive nine sacks and still win. You're not, you're not surviving that against the Chiefs. First of all, Mahomes is going to turn the ball over the way Ryan Tannehill did. The Chiefs' offense is a 1,000 times better than the Titans' offense. And the Chiefs have a pretty good defense, too. They can rush the passer. They're going to give the Bengals all kinds of fits. Um, I think since he keeps this game close for a while, I think ultimately Kansas City pulls away late, ends up winning by 10 or more. As far as the Rams-San Francisco is concerned, look, Shanahan has McVay's number. The 6-0 against the Rams are the Niners in the last three years, including obviously 2-0 this year, including the last game, between the two when the Niners needed the game to get in the playoffs and the Rams seemingly needed the win to clinch the division. Arizona helped them out and lost to Seattle that day. Uh, Rams blew a 17-0 lead. I talked about that game. McVay with the chance to put the hammer down, got conservative, didn't put the ball in Matthews' hands, tried to run the ball and get a first down, couldn't get the first down, gave the ball back to the Niners, uh, and then the game ended up going to overtime, which it should have never done. The Rams should have won that game in regulation. And that was in L.A. And we talked all about how, you know, half the stadium were, were Niners fans. Um, I think the Rams get it done. I really do. Uh, look, Jimmy is not awful. He ain't great. And they're a one-dimensional team on offense. Now, Shanahan's very creative, especially the way he gets the ball to Debo Samuel, who's a dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands. And they give it to him in the running game. They find creative ways to get him involved in the passing game. He's an excellent player. And Kittle's a great tight end. And the Niners' defense is scrappy and hard-nosed. And, you know, with Eric Armstead and Bosa and Ekubom, who used to play for the Rams, up front, Fred Warner's one of the best, if not the best linebacker in the whole NFL. Uh, talked about the safeties and Jimmy Ward and, and Jaquiski Tart. They're, 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 that game is going to be a grind. I just think, look, Stafford's better than Jimmy Garoppolo. 
And as long as the Rams can run the ball enough to keep the Niners front honest and, you know, Stafford doesn't have to drop back 40 times because the Rams' offense, look, hopefully they're going to get Whitworth back, although that kid Nopoom played great in his stead against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay's front is not, you know, it's not chopped liver. It's not as good as San Francisco's, but it's not bad. Um, as long as they can keep them somewhat honest with the running game, look, the Rams' defense is good. We know about the front. Floyd, Sue, Ashawn Robinson, Von Miller. You know, Jalen Ramsey supposedly is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, Darius Williams, the other corner is pretty good. These safeties have shown up and played pretty well. I think I think the Rams get it done. It's a field goal game. I think Matthew does what Matthew does. I think he gets him in position to win the game. I think it's a 24-23 type of game, 24-21. And son of a bitch, they'll be in the Super Bowl. And a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl will be a very exciting Super Bowl. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Jamal About Sports. We'll be back next week with another show to break down NFL Championship Weekend. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. Peace out.